Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. Hello, Connor. (laughs) (laughs) We are uh, recording. The poem is Elegy. And it's by the great poet Araselis Germay. Um, and this poem is from, I believe it's her second collection, Kingdom Animalia. And I think she has three books. Teeth was the first, um, which came out in 07. Then Kingdom Animalia and the Black Maria, which came out in 2016, which is a wonderful book. Highly recommend that. She's gotten a National Endowment for the Arts. She's received a Whiting Award. She was a Cave Canem Fellow. Um, and yeah, she's really good, amazing. And I love this poem. Totally. And I believe Kingdom Animalia was National Book Critics Circle Award finalist in 2011 that sounds right yes this is elegy by araselis girmai elegy what to do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed perhaps one day you touch the young branch of something beautiful and it grows and grows despite your birthdays and the death certificate And it one day shades the heads of something beautiful or makes itself useful to the nest. Walk out of your house then, believing in this. Nothing else matters. All above us is the touching of strangers and parrots, some of them human, some of them not human. Listen to me. I am telling you a true thing. This is the only kingdom, the kingdom of touching 
the touches of the disappearing things. Dang. I know. Nothing else matters. And you know what? I agree. Yeah, I. it's one of those poems where it kind of tells you exactly what it means and you just sort of go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the way it goes about telling you what it means <laughs> that is so good. But yeah, uh, nothing else matters. Ugh. Yeah. Good line. Really good line. Very good line. Yeah, and it, you know, we usually do a kind of a narrative kind of thing. And this one I think is 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 fairly not too complex narratively. It is an elegy, so we're we're you know, we're we're knowing right off the bat that it's it's kind of um, you know, an honor or just about someone or or something that has passed. And yeah, and there's a, you know, there's a kind of question at the beginning what to do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed. Um, and it's kind of for those who are listening, which is all of you indeed, um, it is set off a little bit, um, almost like an epigraph um, from the rest of the poem. And then there's this kind of you that emerges and it's kind of this hypothetical um, that proceeds in the poem and, um, you touch a branch and then it grows. And then in some ways, despite your birthdays and the death certificate, so then someone, someone dies, maybe it's, we're not, it's not quite clear. I mean, I had some thoughts about it, but, um, but then the, the plant or the tree is kind of, maybe there's some birds. Yeah. And that, that's basically like, and then and the rest of the poem is kind of, reflecting on that or meditating on it in some kind of way but in terms of action that's kind of what's happening yeah definitely and i like that the opening question is reflective we assume because of the title on an event that has happened some kind of existing loss or or whatever but it is a sort of a forward thinking question, let's say, or it's a, a reflective question for what do we do with the fact that we know death happens basically, right? Like we're not going to be here forever, impermanence of life, potential existential crises. Like it's, it's that question. Um, it feels like perhaps uh, reminiscent of like, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? kind of question you know it's like what do we do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed it's like what are you going to do with your life what are you going to do about the fact that you're only here for a while um and the poem sort of addresses that question by basically saying that nothing matters except uh like being together yeah <laughs> which is nice and cool yeah i think i'm kind of curious about that uh how how much of this poem feels like it's the elegy idea is more of a jumping off point and how much of it is reflected back towards whatever the death or loss was because i think there are parts of it that could be and i think you pulled out some of what they are where perhaps one day you who is the you there's this hour living is not guaranteed but then there's also the you that enters is that you the lost you or could it be something else? Yeah, no, there's definitely like 
a bit of ambiguity about it um, because we have, you know, perhaps one day you touch the young branch, it grows and grows despite your birthdays and the death certificate. Like my first reading is to connect, is to like not think about the use of the the <laughs> and, yeah. and be like, okay, it's it's your death certificate. Um, but then on, a, on another reading, I noticed that distinction and you're right. That kind of, there's the, there's the other, if it is your death certificate, then the you that happens later in the poem is like another you or like a kind of ghostly you or like a you aware of the future, no longer you or something like that. But if it's someone else, then it's kind of like, oh, like someone's past and someone's died and like and you're sort of dealing with that and kind of like trying to figure out how to move on um and i think it it could be one it could be the other it could be both i think it is one of those things that yeah i think it like it it works in all those ways but it does have a different um yeah it's it's <sighs> it's tricky it's it's very it's trickier than it seems at first, I think, even because when you read the poem, it doesn't present itself as particularly a complexity within the poem, I don't think. But the use and the way that they show up, like the last stanza, the you there where it's the direct address. Listen to me. I am telling you a true thing that doesn't sound like somebody talking to like a gravestone or a spirit of a lot like that sounds like a direction to a living person of like hey we're both still here listen up this is what we got to do this is what matters you know and i think that version of a you could reflect back to the one that's coming in earlier and perhaps one day you like a living person who's about to get this message later you touch the young branch of something beautiful and it grows and grows despite the fact that you're not here forever it's almost this like preemptive elegy for everything ever um, in that sense. But I think in that first stanza, the you can also feel like you do get a sort of memorial sense and maybe touching the young branch is like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you return to the earth and then from the earth, a tree grows and you touch its branch by like feeding it or whatever. Um, I get some more of that tone at the beginning and it feels like it slowly drains away through the poem itself and the use could all be one or the other you but it feels like there's sort of this transition in the you that maybe happens in the uh the kind of in-between stanza that comes after the word after the line nothing else matters you get this bit with no use in them all above us is the touching of strangers and parrots some of them human some of them not human and then you get into the direct address stanza so i don't know it's a it's a trickier you than i thought the first couple times i read through this <laughs> yeah no it is for sure um yeah and it, it's also i when i thinking about yeah that that middle stanza all above us is the touching of strangers and parrots um 
that also made me think of the very first part of the poem, what to do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed and the use of the, the hour and the us um, in those parts and how there's, there's a kind of collective, you know, it's, it's the plural first person in that situation. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it also it's this kind of, hmm, um, there's also like, something interesting about the way of time in that first big stanza of like you know touching the branch and then the branch you know is a young tree or something that's growing and it's not like the cliche version is like a circle of life kind of thing which is not I think what (laughs) I mean it's like adjacent to that but it's, yeah, it's sort of playing with that idea. It's acknowledging that idea is present and then doing something else. Yeah. Because um, it's like, and it one day shades the heads of something beautiful or makes itself useful to the nest. Um, so this this tree is, you know, providing a home for these, these birds, presumed birds. Um, and... And in that way, our, our is a life-giving, living thing that then the you is touching. But then it's like, yeah, but then there is the death certificate. But then also, like, in addition to the kind of changing or at least, like, maybe changing use, there is also a changing and maybe changing time where like that Mm. first big stanza has has that sweep of time you know um yeah but then yeah but then like at the end it's like it's this really intense presentness that's like but that's also like the touches of the disappearing um things you know it's like but then it's also like, I am telling you a true thing. So it's this kind of, um, I don't know. It, it's like, it's like by the end, we, we are in a kind of present, but that's also like involving these things that are disappearing. Well, I think it's interesting because even though saying that the things are disappearing does indicate passage of time, the way that it's presented is more like it's just a fact about the things that are currently here right now. Like these things are disappearing because they are alive. Um, but on my Bob Dylan kick lately, I know I mentioned him during our <laughs> line I love break it. week. I love, um, love it. But obviously, Mr. Robert, he not busy being born as busy dying. Zimmerman would have something to say about this idea. Yeah. What's up? But I think that's, that's where I go with it, which is like, sure. Disappearing indicates passage of time, but that's not really what is happening here. It's more just like, think about the fact that the present that you're in contains all of these things that are disappearing is one way of looking at them. Like eventually all the mountains you see will wither to dust and whatever, like it's all disappearing in some way on some level. Um, whereas the way that the big first stanza sets things up 
it is acknowledging change over time as part of what's going on. And you get these markers of time like birthdays or the finality of a death certificate, the sense of a tree that grows or a branch that extends and then becomes a nest or whatever. Like there's more direct call outs to changes over time than there end up being where this like really direct present is happening. Yeah, no, I think that's really right. Yeah, the touches of the disappearing, like the the not the things that are disappearing. It's like they are defined by their disappearingness. Um right. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like the the things that we're told about, like what is it? It's the the parrots and the humans and the strangers like that's what we've been told is touching so the kingdom of touching is these disappearing transient animal bodies basically <laughs> right it's yeah. like this this kingdom of disappearing touching things like we're not talking about them touching over time we're not talking about how long they're in contact like the the facts of what they are is like they're touching and they're disappearing because life ends and here's your elegy to maybe all of life yeah 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 because that yeah yeah here's your maybe elegy to all of life i feel like that is kind of the vibe of the poem a little bit like it's it's so it's so interesting like the end like listen to me it's very i'm telling you what to do like listen to me um but then it's like i am telling you a true thing um which like on the one hand you know for a poet it's like it's not often you can tell you can say a true thing you know we know how we know how hard true things are to to come by um but at the same time it's not like i'm telling you the truth or i'm like telling you truth or i'm telling you like my truth or something like it's like it's just something that is true um but and so it has a kind of humility in that way but then it also is like this is the only kingdom <laughs> um which i think is also it's interesting too because it's like it's not the only i just love that use of kingdom because it's like i mean so obviously and then i'm i need to like read this home again in the context of the larger book because the the larger book is called like kingdom anomalia and so then we have the use of kingdom as like also the kind of scientific um you know a delineation of of different living beings but then there's also the kind of this is the only kingdom as like a kingdom, glorious, uh, beautiful place. Um, and I was thinking about that, like, it's not the only, it's like, it's not like it's the only world. It's like in the one world that we have, there's all these, there's like other worlds. There's like going through life on your nine to five grind, trying to, trying to earn your paycheck trying to pay your mortgage or your rent or whatever but that's not the kingdom there's only one kingdom and that's and you can i don't know it's like it's not like the kingdom is 
somewhere else in the world. It's like it's the whole world, but it's a it's a it's a it's the touching part of the world in a way, which I thought like the kingdom of touching the touches of the disappearing like that is a very I don't know, like a powerful way of thinking of the world. I mean, it's kind of like it's sort of it's it is kind of the answer to the question at the beginning of like what, you know, what to do with this knowledge. And it's sort of like shifting, you know, having a certain kind of attentiveness to the world that is sort of attentive to the, the beautiful living things and the disappearing and the touching and, and that kind of thing. And that, that is being in the kingdom <laughs> in a way, rather than like, well, first, you know, you have to have the Royal blood and then you got to travel the, 40 C's and all that stuff. And then through the needle of the eye of the whatever kingdom of heaven, da, 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 da. Um, something, 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 <laughs> camel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really up on my Bible here. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but, it's, the, it's yeah. the rich man, the camel, the eye of the whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which there is a great Seamus Heaney poem called rain stick that um is just about the sound of a rain stick the whole poem is just like it begins up end the rain stick and and then it describes and it's just like this amazing kind of sublime experience the end of that poem is like after describing this amazing thing it's like up end the stick again what happens next is undiminished for having happened once twice, 10, a thousand times before. Who cares if the music that transpires is the fall of grit or dry seeds through a cactus? You are like a rich man entering heaven through the ear of a shower. Listen now again. The, the version that I knew was you are like a rich man entering heaven through the ear of a raindrop rather than a shower. Maybe he revised it. Anyway, entering heaven and kingdoms. The other thing about this poem is just like, you know, it's obviously not the like specific intent of the poem because it was written way before the pandemic, but I suppose Things of the pandemic are always happening to certain people at certain times and certain groups and communities and things like that. But I just was struck so much by the beginning of the poem, the way it's put of, you know, what to do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed. And both the fact that it is the hour living, you know, it's like, it's not just that I know I'm going to die someday. It's like, our living and also like that it's it's not my life it's not our life it's our living um but then the fact of it being guaranteed um and and not being guaranteed i don't know i was just reflecting it's like there've been recorded 15 million deaths of covid so far it's been more than a million deaths in the U.S. alone, 
it's been very strange to go through each wave and of the pandemic with like a different and usually worse government and societal response. Yeah, um, the official attitude keeps changing for the worse or just like becomes increasingly less concerned, independent of actual need for concern. Not to get political, but there's just a feeling. Oh, yeah, we never do that here. Well, I right? never. Yeah, 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 yeah let's, sorry. Let's not get too <laughs> political, Connor. Please, please. I just it's like, OK, here. I think this is the distillation of what I'm feeling, because like right now we're like Minnesota is in what I think is a very peak or or getting up to a peak of the BA2 variant. Um, although most like it's not really known in the wider conversation because of the way that the CDC and media have changed their reporting so that now the metric is hospitalizations, which is obviously the lagging indicator, but hospitalizations are rising. And a lot of people I know are getting COVID for the first time. Um, Yes. But then like I was thinking back to Omicron, which was also crazy making. Um, But at least everyone was at least mad that like we couldn't get tests, even though it was very crazy that you couldn't get tests. Um, But there was still a sense, not that people, but like if one (laughs) was very had lots of means and resources, you could do your individual thing, which is still kind of overwhelmingly the case but now it's even like oh people don't even know when they need to get tests or whatever and then thinking about the kind of still unknown but certainly terrible consequences of so many people getting covid then getting long covid and then the possibilities and likelihoods if we follow this path of, you know, reinfection, which is like, and so then you're, you're looking at a situation where like, so, so, so many people in a few years could just, you know, I mean, some people are calling it like a mass disabling event, basically, Um, which I think is, is accurate, although I don't think it's being thought of in that way. Um, But I, I just like, to me, it, it's like beyond the kind of um, anxiety, stress, and all the those sorts of feelings of just being like, what is going on? Yeah. It's like this weird thing, especially the way that it's happening in these recurring waves where I'm like, oh, like I'm watching like in I'm feeling in real time, like my own living being less and less guaranteed basically and obviously i'm i'm speaking from a place of enormous privilege and just like you know a being able to work from home and all these things um and like you know being relatively able to insulate yeah and i and i it got me thinking too of like to to kind of expand that because i think to me, to me, that was like the the psychological feeling 
I <laughs> had. And then I was, and then I was reading this poem and I was like, yeah, what do we do with this knowledge? Um, and I also felt that very strongly, like personally and viscerally in a way that I hadn't also because of my privilege, but after the George Floyd uprising and just the total kind of city, not just abandonment, but active, violent antagonism by law enforcement and the National Guard and things like that. And the general, like, you know, the rise of mutual aid during that time uh, and this, this, you know, only we can save us is was a kind of feel like a mantra that really took off during that time. And it's felt increasingly resonant. But then at the same time, it's like there must be a we <laughs> for us to save us, you know, and so I think that's what's been particularly stark. So when I when I came across this poem, I just I don't know, it really captured me in that way. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I do think a lot of it is with the phrasing of that opening question, because it it does feel like a very pandemic era question to be asking. I mean, it's always a question to ask, as you were saying, but like we've all been confronted with it anew and on a different scale than than many people have experienced in their entire lifetimes. I mean, it's maybe a little reminiscent of some of the Cold War nuclear winter fears that some that you know many folks maybe remember growing up with, but there's a whole you know generation and a half or even two generations of people for whom those fears were not as real as they were for others. And the pandemic has definitely posed that question, and you're so right that the absence of any kind of reliable or reliable feeling institutional response almost at any point and almost from anywhere, because even countries that were really, really responsible could only kind of hold out for so long because it's a global pandemic. And even if you're really conscientious about shutting your country down, you can't separate your country from the world indefinitely. At some point, you do have to start trying to open up. And what does that lead to? I mean, outbreaks, new lockdowns, and there's what happens when life becomes more precarious and the precarity of life is again, as you were saying, it's at different levels for different populations because of power and privilege and all that stuff that we talk about all the time. Um, but like mass precarity of life that you would hope would push folks towards a broader we and our and collective uh, solidarity, which I think hopefully is happening, but that's embedded in that question. It's 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 interesting because I, I am sort of stuck on comparing it to that, you know, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? The, that is a tonally similar question, but it is directed at the individual, whereas this is directed at a collective. And that's such a powerful and important difference, because I think the individual message is internalized more easily by folks and it's more easily memed and it's more easily shared and inspirational posters and whatever. And look, we talked about that poem. It's a great poem. It's a great message. It's really an important question to ask yourself now and again, like, hey, you know what? Do I need to go to work 14 hours a day? Is this actually a job that's like worth my time here on the planet? Or in a recent episode, we talked about, you know, prison abolitionist theory of time and 
what a horror it is to take time away from people. But this kind of collective phraseology of that question or posing that sort of existential question to a group or challenging an individual in a kind of communal way. So maybe you, it's directed even at a single person and you do get that direct you at the end of the poem, even if this is being pointed at the person, it's in the context of community. It's in the context of some kind of solidarity because yeah, like the kingdom of touching. Okay. If we take that as a scientific kingdom, kingdoms are like almost the biggest thing you can have. The only thing above them is the domain. And that's like, well, are you a eukaryote or a prokaryote? That's the only thing bigger than like, oh, you're an animal. You are in the <laughs> like kingdom animalia is all of the animals. You know, like the kingdom of touching. Oh, it's like everything that's alive. <laughs> Probably. You know, if you're gonna extrapolate it out. Yeah. It's, it's most living things. Yeah, no, I I yeah, that really resonates with me um yeah and what and what you said a little earlier i about the we i mean just thinking of recent um events and <laughs> kind of one of the few hopeful things that i've been holding on to is the the amazon labor reunion win um at staten island and and like um and listening to um, like Chris Smalls, who is one of the, the main kind of organizers of the union, um, listening to an interview with him and, and like a, about the pandemic, it was like, Oh, Amazon will let us die in this warehouse they do not care about our lives. And so that, that moment was like when he like, you know, staged the first kind of walkout and kinds of things. And then um, they fired him and then uh, yeah. And they were incredibly racist about like explicitly uh, targeting, making him the face of it, which, which, backfired in in an incredible way um but yeah it was i don't know that watching that struggle and the kind of the formation of certain we's um is is a is a beautiful thing um it's all the other thing that i that is interesting too is yeah like that middle all of us all above us is the touching of strangers and parrots, some of them human, some of them not human. Um, it's not like sometimes it's not like um, in like a touching of between people who, you know, know each other intimately. You know what I mean? It's like it's strangers and parrots <laughs> it's like, all kinds of touching yeah right it's it's a it's a parrot on the nest it's like a hand on the branch you know it's like 
it's bumping into someone on the sidewalk or something like that. Um, and so it's a very, yeah, but that is, is, um, and I do also love the way that it's, it is like all, all living things, some of them human, some of them not human, um, which is another dimension that I, that I just am very <laughs> gravitating toward a lot lately, um, of just that kind of, it just, it made me think of, um, Caitlin Scarano's book, The Necessity of Wildfire and kind of their own work, bringing in this wider ecological world that involves human and non-human in relation to each other. It's just the encounter. It's just, it's the touch. It's just like, that's the kingdom. I don't know. It's not a certain kind of touch is, I guess, what I'm saying. And that's, that's striking that that only becomes kind of a <laughs> a strange or a striking thing the more that i think about it it's like when i first read it i'm like yeah the kingdom of touching but then when i am rereading and thinking about strangers and parrots which is a great also just like as a side note a great little and then i feel like you connect the nest there's no bird mentioned in the first stanza with the branch and stuff um, but then in the second stand in the, in that stanza, you get the parrots and you're like, okay, probably maybe it was a parrot. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> could be a parrot. Could have been could've a been. parrot all along. Could have been a parrot nest. I don't know. Could have been. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. It, it reminds me, I was, you know, watching different readings of, different readings of hers on YouTube in advance of our recording. And I came across a little video that's only about a minute and a half long, but she was reflecting on uh, like her own experiences learning about poetry and how um, whenever she was like reading the work of black poets, it was never put in the category of like nature poetry or being, you know, landscape poetry even when that's clearly what was happening in a poem or that's what was going on it was always well in the context of the artist's larger work blah 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 like you know the, the, this other thing and whatever and it was never in that section of a collection it was never the focus um, and i feel like this is in a lot of ways a nature poem and i believe that whatever event that clip was taken from i think was like a year after this book came out so it was clearly about some of what was going on in this book but yeah the whole kingdom of touching thing and what that encompasses is so fascinating human not human parrots like the way that because uh, this this poem not only brings in nature imagery but in a book called kingdom animalia it's also in conversation with like how do we categorize nature and how do we talk about it and all this other stuff um, and the way that like latin binomial nomenclature works and the taxonomy works is like each level of it has a different defining characteristic and that's how you know where you're going in the kind of branching tree of life, quote unquote. That may be outdated now in, in real biology. I don't really know. But that's that's sort of how it works. And like, forgive so, us, please forgive, forgive us, us, biologists, taxonomists. Yes. Forgive us our trespasses upon taxonomy as we shall forgive taxonomy's trespasses upon us. Didn't ask to be called a homo sapien, but here we are. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, Latin folks and 
the guy who came up with this idea for stuff. Um, but like, so you get the the kingdom animalia, and then within it, you've got animals that have spinal cords, and that's chordata, right? So like each different thing narrows down the way that you're describing an animal. So like a human would be under chordata the same way I don't know, an anteater would. But like each one of those is defining a different thing about whatever the animal is, um, which is also how evolutionary markers are also looked at, which is like, what are the evolutionary markers that make people? What is the, what is the scientific answer to what is a human being? Well, they walk upright. That's the first one that developed. So walking upright is one of the things. Tool use is another thing. Like there's, there's markers along the way that indicate moving from one species of early hominid to another that also are then the things that we use to define what is a human being in a scientific sense, like a modern human. What are they? Well, they walk upright and they use tools and X, Y, and Z, you know? And there's obviously also like philosophical answers to what does it mean to be human? And there's religious answers, but there's also the biological criteria for being a homo sapiens sapien. And in defining a kingdom of touching, this poem is pretty clear about what that is. And it's almost everything that touches <laughs> because it might be human. It might be not human. It might be a stranger. It might be a parrot. Like it's kind of a little bit of everything. And when the poem says the kingdom of touching, it feels like it's inching towards saying existence. <laughs> this, the transience of like all existence, whether that is talking about an individual person and their consciousness perceiving the world, which is transient and disappearing, or whether it is the nature of everything, which is the universe constantly <laughs> expanding and contracting and big banging and whatever. Um, <laughs> it just so, keeps doing that. It just keeps doing it. Somebody it's should like, look into that. I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah, and the universe is just big banging all over the place. I know. You're trying to take a nap, and the universe is like, hey, I'm expanding. Guess what? <laughs> guess what? Hey, hey, guess what? I know you're trying to have a chill time, but uh, why don't you put your brain to this one? I'm expanding. <laughs> but yeah, just in terms of how is this poem kind of mobilizing some of that nature stuff and going in a different direction it doesn't say you know kingdom touching phylum fingers or whatever you know like there's a much more <laughs> oh god <direct laughs> thank no. thank you for not doing that <laughs> class tip of fingers <laughs> order oh, that feels so nail on tip of fingers oh like, it's that you know oh, but like gosh there is a probably a more artful way for a poem like this to go in that kind of a direction where it's much more explicitly making the connection to like binomial nomenclature, biology in an academic sense and whatever. But I feel like it is still directly calling that out when you get something like the kingdom of touching. Yeah, that's that is the kingdom in a biological sense or in that kind of ordering the world sense it's on that top level. It includes so many different things, uh, whether it's strangers and parrots or nests or whatever. Or toenails. Or toenails. Or, or fingernails. Kind of follicles. Mm, yes, sort the of. kingdom of the follicle. I agree. It re also reminds me 
of the Kathy Fagan poem we talked about, Ontology of the Platypus. Yeah. Which defies those taxonomists. Yes, it does in the best possible way. Because you know what? That platypus is laying an egg, motherfuckers. Yeah, what's up? Monotremes for life. Yet another wonderful Australian invention. Yeah, no, I, my last little thought based on. Oh, go on, make it a big one. No, it's, I think it's a little one. Well, all right, fine. Little thought. It's, it's, well, maybe it's of an indeterminate size. We'll leave it at that. Um, In a way, well, I have two. One is just, I was appreciating how much I love this poem and the fact that the scope of the poem in a way is so vast because it's like, as you were saying, the kingdom of touching is a very large category, just reflecting on sort of from a craft writing perspective, you know, we often talk about using the concrete and the details, um, which there are in this poem, but also it is more kind of abstract in a lot of ways. And I think at least for me, it achieves it, it just, it still hits very hard for me. I think that's like especially difficult to do when, when you're thinking about something so vast. Um, it's almost like the weather and space kind of vast. Yeah. 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 Is, is God being or pure force? That's so true. Um, that's very true. And the other thing, was like the difference of thinking of like kingdom animalia versus the kingdom of touching is like it's not about beings it's about touching it is it's like the thing between beings that is the kingdom i guess which is sort of something that we had said but i think that is different um yeah and i think and and it's interesting to think about like the thing is the touch not one thing touching another it like is the touching that was my indeterminately sized thought that was also two thoughts i like that (laughs) maybe the fact that it was two thoughts is what led to its size being so difficult to determine yeah, that's that's probably right. That's probably right. Shall we hear it again? Yes, I think we shall. This is Elegy by R.S. Elise Girmay. What to do with this knowledge that our living is not guaranteed? Perhaps one day you touch the young branch of something beautiful, and it grows and grows despite your birthdays and the death certificate, and it one day shades the heads of something beautiful or makes itself useful to the nest. Walk out of your house then, believing in this. Nothing else matters. All above us is the touching of strangers and parrots, 
some of them human, some of them not human. Listen to me. I am telling you a true thing. This is the only kingdom, the kingdom of touching, the touches of the disappearing things. Jack. Yes, what's up? I am curious what you have been listening to, watching, or reading lately. <laughs> Sorry, that turned into like the music man for a little bit, but that's fine. I'm down with it. Um, <laughs> there have been a bunch of different things. I have been watching Under the Banner of Heaven, which is a new TV series available via Hulu that is based on the uh, nonfiction book of the same title that came out in 2003 by Jonathan Krakauer. And it is about a Mormon detective who is investigating some pretty heinous crimes committed by Mormons on other Mormons. And he's questioning his faith and it also ties the present day events which are happening in the uh i believe late 70s early 80s late 70s the the quote-unquote present day events of the series which are happening in the late 70s it ties it into the violent history of the mormon faith in the united states because uh mormons in their early years were highly persecuted and as a result, became increasingly insular and militarized. And there are these many different incidents of massacres, both perpetrated against the Mormons and by the Mormons. And it's a whole kind of bloody history. Uh, and the way it shows up in this case is this uh, woman and her daughter, Brenda Lafferty, who's played by Daisy Edgar Jones, who uh, is a really phenomenal young actress who's in a bunch of different stuff. Along with Sebastian Stan, she was the lead in the movie Fresh, which is a very creepy movie that you can watch. But she plays Brenda Lafferty, who's this very smart, kind of raised to be fairly independent by the standards of the Mormon faith of the time, young woman who marries into this very extreme family that then goes on to have this really intense shift the Lafferty family which is like a a well-known Mormon family in the area at the time they're really big they have lots of siblings who themselves have lots of kids but they kind of marry their Mormon faith to this like anti-tax right-wing anti-government ideology that then gets the family into this almost cult-like on its own kind of trajectory tangential to even mainstream mormonism and they end up doing all these crimes and you can look up the story it's you know all on the internet but the series is really good it's very effective storytelling andrew garfield is the main detective uh pyrie mm. who is kind of questioning his faith as he goes about doing the investigation and sam worthington is also in it so get excited for him to also be in the new avatar movie that's coming out soon i guess um, there's a new Avatar movie coming there's, out. There's going to be a new Avatar movie coming out. The Way of Water. The trailer dropped this week, Connor. Where are you at? Oh, I am not. 
on it. It's got amazing CGI water and there's whales and stuff. I love whales. Yeah, they're amazing. They're even cooler when they're from Pandora and you can swim around with them, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, it's going to be a movie. It's probably going to make a bunch of money, I guess. Uh, and it's going to have Sam Worthington in it reprising his role as Jake Sully with his wife, Natiri Sully, I guess. Maybe maybe shouldn't take his name. I don't know how that works on Pandora. The point is he's in this <laughs> thing about Mormons. And uh, also Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell, famous for playing mean Captain America in the Captain America TV show and a bunch of other roles. He's in Black Mirror and he's been in a bunch of stuff and he's he's just got he's got a mean off putting demeanor and he's in the right role in the series. There you go. (laughs) Um, He's good at that role of like, you look a little bit like Captain America, but you seem mean. That's that's kind of his sweet spot. Uh, unsurprising, he ended up playing that role. But yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven does a good job doing what the book does, which is bringing in Mormon history at appropriate times to explain and help understand the thinking of these basically like Mormon zealots who also have a kind of libertarian ideology in the 70s who are doing crimes. Um, so it's really it's an interesting through line and you know you've got andrew garfield being all like i'm a mormon but this is freaking me out that seems like a perfect role for andrew garfield Um, it's it's very good yeah because he's got that face where you're like he wants to be a good man but he seems a little caught it's an excellent it's, it's an excellent role for him okay it's i here's the thing he is somebody who I've always intellectually understood is like a very good actor, like in everything he's, he's like, Oh yeah, he's doing a good job. And it never quite clicks for me for whatever reason. Mm. Like whenever he's in something, I'm just like, eh, that's Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. And, <laughs> and, and it was the same when I saw him in angels in America. Also a lot of Mormon stuff in that. I don't know if there's a connection for him, but I would be curious for somebody to ask him about it, but he played, oh. you know, he was in it. Not in the Mormon role, but in the main role as uh, prior. But oh, okay. And and he was very good in that. But it was the same thing on stage as I kind of have with him on screen, where I'm like, yeah, okay, but it's Andrew Garfield. I don't know. <laughs> Somehow, there's just always been a little bit of a rub, and I feel that less with this series than with anything else I've seen him in, where it's just like, all right, this is a great role for you. You seem like a very pious Maybe. man who isn't so sure that he's doing the right thing anymore. <laughs> just trying to figure it out. Amazing. I love that. Yeah. So That's that, great. Yeah. That seems good. That it seems is. I, good. I definitely recommend it. It's on Hulu. I was surprised by how like invested I was in it. So what about you? What are you watching, reading, listening to? What you got going on? <laughs> well, the main thing is I'm check I'm checking in on this little finch family. We've got um this little nest on our porch, which is not something I can recommend because it's pretty local, kind of like have to be. You can check in on birds in your area, though. Oh, that's and true. There's an online place where you can log your bird sightings, and then it helps build the databases through the Cornell Lab. You can log your sightings, and it helps them understand bird populations. It's great. Okay, that's very fascinating. Um, yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, the birds in my life 
have been pretty good. And I think that might be my recommendation, which is to check out your local birds. <laughs> okay, that sounds weird. <laughs> the Okay, so in terms of cool birds, at Powderhorn Park, there's like several herons. Um, they're very big. And they're always kind of, one of them's in the tree, one of them's by the water. And then I think there is a black heron that's separate. And then there's obviously all the geese and the ducks. Um, but they are the coolest. Okay. They are the coolest kind of bird. I mean, they're just pretty cool. Um, I, I went out and said it. Um, but the thing I would say about this little finch family is it is just... And I'm sounding like a total, I suppose for someone in poetry, it means I should have a more, I feel a lot of guilt out at my uh, lack of kind of natural affinity towards the natural world. I, I think it's <laughs> something I have had to force myself sometimes, but then when I do, I'm like, oh my God, um, like Sarita all the time, it's like, She's been planting flowers and vegetables. And then she like, she's like, yeah, they bloomed the other week. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then she's <laughs> like, did you see them do that? And I'm like, uh, uh. I mean, probably, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm looking at them right now and they have bloomed. <laughs> I but see it, it now. You're, you are correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, so this is the very simple thing that I've been appreciating, which is a lot of the time I go out and I see wildlife and I'm like, wow, they're very cool and look cool and they're weird and birds and they're flying in the air and that's wild. But this is like, and these birds, like a house finch, they're not like particularly you know, they're not like, well, I mean, the, the, the dad birds is very red and that's cool, but otherwise they're fairly brown, but it's just interesting, like to see the life of a bird just like day after day, which is something I've never really like seen that much. And it's just like, oh, like she really sits on the eggs and then sometimes flies away because she's scared and then comes back to sit on the eggs. I don't know. It's, it's just like, and the whole process, I mean, we had the, it's the same nest. That's what was so amazing is the nest stayed there because it was like on our little porch nook. And then just to think like the six birds that hatched, they flew around for a whole year and like, I can't tell if one of them is the new user of the nest or if it's the same pair of finches that are reusing the nest. There's just something about it that's so, and it's like the basic things are like <laughs> so laborious, like, oh my God. Building the nest, Jesus Christ, you gotta you have a little beak? You gotta get a bunch of twigs. <laughs> no hands. 
No hands. Just little talon feet. No, thank you. I would what not survive. Yeah, build a house, but don't use your hands. Just your mouth and your weird claw feet. And then like, oh, yeah. Now I have a bunch of little chicks who can't do jack diddly except chirp and open their little beaks. Then you have to go find food for them and then just dump it in their mouths for a long time. I mean, it's Jesus. It's intense. And then they just flap their wings like a lot in the nest, like while they're learning how to do it. It's like the most mundane wildlife (laughs) series of observations that I've had. But just like being with them. I mean, it's kind of like having a pet, but except that I have no relation to them except just admiring them from a close distance. In many ways, perhaps your ideal relationship to a pet slash member of the natural (laughs) world. Yeah. Yeah. Admiration from it. I appreciate what you're about. I love everything you got going on. (laughs) Thank you for doing it near me. Yeah. I'm Um, glad you've sorted out your own food and housing. No, exactly. No, and it's just... Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossner Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.